0: hi folks how are you uh you join me on a monday morning as i record this to get our latest episode out into your ears and i've got to say i'm feeling sprightly for a monday morning uh been up since like half six the kids dropped off to school uh getting through my to-do list the sun is shining Been out for a little walk with the dog and yeah cracking on today is a good day i hope it is for you too. Um, Considering I had quite an interesting end of the week last week, I was up in Manchester at the wonderful Victoria Warehouse hosting the Great British Pub of the Year Awards. We all love a pub. They need to be celebrated. They're great places. And just before I did that, I uh, was doing a, a remote record for what was supposed to be a future episode of the podcast. However, slight technical issue in that the film company, no names mentioned, didn't record the conversation. Do you want to know who that conversation was with? The four members of Talking Heads. <laughs> For the re-release of Stop Making Sense, which is going into cinema, celebration of the 40th anniversary of the original release of Jonathan Demi's live music documentary. I mean, it's just a live music. It's a show, basically. So it's not really a doc. It's more of a kind of, it's the show live. And it's extraordinary. It's been remastered both visually and audibly. The music has just been done to perfection. You still get the sense that you're in that room watching them. It's so brilliantly done. I found it really emotional. So, um, unfortunately, I'm not able to share my chat with the band unless they're able to reschedule the chat. So I just wanted to talk about the film. So, yeah, Stop Making Sense is hitting cinema, so go and see it. It's brilliant. Also hitting cinemas this Friday is John Carney's latest film, Flora and Son. I'm a big fan of John's work once and Sing Street I thought were fantastic films and Flora and Son kind of continues in this vein of I think he's created almost his own genre of kind of musical uh, because it's not that kind of I'm gonna burst into song and drive the narrative forward. Uh, the music has got a connection with the story, the characters and um, I think he's done a great job. So yeah, we're going to chat to John so he'll feature on a future episode. But we continue to celebrate independent film on in this week in the company of the wonderful Prasanna Raja and Niall Lola, respectively director and composer of Bally Walter, a bittersweet comedy set in the Northern Irish village, which counts among its stars, Shana Kerslake and Patrick Keelty. This is a gorgeous wee film. It's about connection. It's about not realising you need someone or almost having those guards up to not allow anyone in. And unbeknownst to you, this person that you meet by chance is the right thing that you need at the right time. Not on a romantic level, just more on a kind of helpful level. It's Prasanna's first feature film. He's an actor, he's done loads of work in the theatre and it's also Paddy's first outing as an actor and him and Shauna are just fantastic. Predominantly in a car where they spend most of the time chatting it's really great it's a really moving film and Niall's music is beautiful and accompanies the film as a real companion and listen out for how Prasanna and Niall met because that in itself is a great, great story and Niall was very kind to furnish us with some of his as yet unreleased cues from the film and so we're going to begin with The Bally Waltz <laughs>
1: Doing? I'm awesome. Good. How are
0: you guys?
2: Really well, Good. thanks. Really well. You you could not have lighted on a pair of less techie guys here. We've spent the last half an hour like working out the zoom setup. Your it, looks so it looks so professional.
0: It looks so professional. We've got a key, keyboard there. I'm hoping for some live live score playing as we touch chat oh, yeah. through <laughs> it. That fun. would be amazing. It's just oh. it's just paper
2: mache. It's just paper mache, that thing. It's uh... <laughs>
0: green screen
2: green screen exactly (laughs) how are you doing thanks so much for talking to Uh,
0: us No, do you know what's so lovely because your wonderful film i've been so excited about seeing it i mean prasanna we talked about it actually when i chatted to you for the crown last year and then obviously i know patrick so you know i've heard about it through him sort of thing and just the kind of excitement about seeing this film and then seeing it and then getting the chance to chat to you both so thank you guys
2: Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. It's amazing. And to congratulations. To talk about it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it took seven years to make it from Is script that right? to, to that. Yeah. 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 2016, January the 1st, Stacey Gregg sent me the script and she'd written it in the two weeks between Christmas and then.
0: Oh, she's an uh, overachiever.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it took us two weeks to write it. It took us seven years to make it. So, um, you know, there's a mismatch there, definitely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just took ages to kind of first get the, the backers, the finance together, navigate our way through the pandemic. Um, mm. Took ages to cut it in the pandemic. It uh, took ages to find its right kind of journey in the festivals, to yeah. find our distributors, uh, Breakout and Elysian to kind of like find a way to get this like quite secret little film out there you know what I mean so but yeah but I think the more I talk to filmmakers the more they just sort of go oh yeah that's pretty quick
0: yeah because obviously your background is is acting and I was interested to know how the script ended up being with you how it would have been something you've been seeking out had you been speaking to people about trying to find the right thing to to take that step and to kind of you know to to work Um,
2: on well I I, I'd been working theatre a bit directing a bit in theatre and um I'd made some short films basically as a way of like creating stories because theater was getting quite tricky to get done. You know what I mean? And uh, this is like, I mean, I'm genuinely like old enough to have made my first film on 16 millimeter without that being like a choice. It was just like, that was the camera that was there. So, um, but, but it was a way of kind of like getting a piece of writing to a state of like completed story yeah. in a way that theater felt, um, like there were more sort of skins in the way. You had to persuade people to, that your story had kind of merit or value or something. And I was more interested in kind of making it and then putting it out in front of audiences and letting them decide what they think. Yeah. Um, so, I was, so I was kind of making like very, very lo-fi short films. Then I basically ended up um, submitting one of them for this thing called Coming Up, which is a Channel 4 new talent strand. It's the only sort of scheme I've ever done. And I was I was curious about it and suggested to me by um, one of the producers of that, that I should um, submit a film that I d- uh, directed called The Half-Lights. Mm-hmm. And I met Stacey, Greg, on that scheme. We were paired awesome. together. They wanted her to make a film about East Belfast, where she's from, Ballybean. And they paired us together because we'd kind of made this quite goofy three-minute um, <laughs> shot from the hip, like camcorder film together as part of this whole process. And they, they thought it was quite funny, and we, we really loved working with each other but also they were like you guys both have a kind of uh intergenerational post conflict kind of heritage in your different ways my my family's sri lankan tamil and they were curious about the sort of the collisions the wrong word but the sort of like the dance of those two yeah. points. so i started going to belfast about 10 years ago to 2011 2012 um and immediately like tuned in to the rhythms, the humour, particularly the way that people hide their story, their kind of collective story, their community story, their trauma story, their wounds yeah. uh, behind humour and yeah. the patter and the electricity of the patter, you know what I mean? In a way that we just, we don't, the English just don't do. There's a different sort of set of armors, but it's like a, you know, it's about reserve and kind of a much more kind of frank hiding. So... Basically, Northern Ireland really reminded me of the Tamil Sri Lankan community. It's spiky and funny. And, you know, you're always going to, if you're not careful, end up being the butt of someone's sarcasm. And the language is funny. The kind of idiom is funny. The dialect is funny. And all of that, when I was in Northern Ireland, I was like, this really feels familiar. It feels like a completely different rhythm and like digging in over the last 10 years to the notion of what, where comedy and sort of personal history and traumatic history kind of collide and intersect That's sort of like Ballywater has ended up being the kind of a culmination of of that sort of thought process so that was really like in Stacey when Stacey and I were talking about features and things that we might want to make together that was a starting point we were also talking about kind of journeys through aloneness I guess um the secret ways in which we can turn each other's lives around in ways that we don't really know is happening and ways that are really quite unexpected this is all obviously like pre-pandemic yeah so the film has like hugely come into alignment with a much more universal yeah story i think now
0: absolutely and also i think it's that thing of you know i think what the film does so beautifully there are so many things i think that people will draw from from it and find kind of um companionship I think in a lot of ways through it is that kind of idea of there's someone out there who without you even realizing can kind of help you take that step forward in whatever direction it is you need to take forward
2: absolutely Um, I sort of thought about this phrase which is like you know you know that thing like laugh and the world laughs with you mm. I was kind of thinking actually it's more like laugh and a stranger might laugh with you (laughs) yeah or something there's like a kind of I think it's um there's something extraordinary about an encounter that might be a chance encounter, a person who you'll never see again, where the stakes are quite low, actually, yeah, for the, sp- for the sharing to happen, and it's interesting how some people immediately guard, guards up, armors up. Yeah. Some yeah. people are immediately armored down, and sometimes it can be two people with their armor up who can just drop each other's defenses and I, no one else can quite get to them in their lives you know it can be decades of sort of
0: yeah, exactly. family
2: silence or something that's absolutely. people are absolutely
0: yeah just those walls are up aren't they in terms of whatever yeah. it is they've felt like they've yeah. needed to protect themselves from definitely i love the story about how you guys met but it's again it's it's it ties in with just what we were just talking about encounters and yeah. listen listening and responding and being open to what you can connect to if you are an open you know if you're an open person i think
2: well i mean that's such a lovely way of putting it it really does feel like that because i think um, you know we uh, i i was in dublin actually to watch stacy perform in a play Our, our collaboration as well as writer director involves me directing her as a performer I've helped her with some of her live art projects. She's a live artist as well. We've worked on television stuff together. We we've got like a really I, I love it. It's my one of my favourite professional collaborations ever. So i had gone apart to see apart from Nile obviously. Apart from <laughs> Nile, yeah. I mean, Niall, you know, Nile's like top ten definitely. You know? <laughs> um, uh, well, you'll take that. Nile's nodding. He's like, yeah, okay. Um, but so I was in town to watch um, Stacey's play, and I walked from like the digs that I'd got. Uh, to the theatre and I went past Grafton Street
1: mm. and
2: I heard someone hammering away on a lap steel guitar that had been mic'd up and they were musician and percussionist and kind of like engine all in one <laughs> you know it was this incredible sound kind of reverbering, reverberated down the street and and I just sort of made a note in my head to look up who that was and so I typed in Grafton Street Busker and a few videos of Nile came up, and I kind hmm. of had a bit of a route around, and I found these other tracks, which were Nile kind of like doing improvs in kind of found spaces, so like in lofts and things like that, in bars before they open. Um, some material of Nile playing in Texas, actually, um, and I had been thinking about this film and its uh, peculiar kind of panhandle isolation. Mm. um the particular bit of northern ireland that um the film is set in is the ards peninsula and it's a kind of like bit kind of tucked away right on the eastern coast it's like between the irish sea and strangford lock there are like barns with prepare to meet thy god painted on the side it's like there's sort of myths and like sort of stories in the hills or something there's like an old school something something kind of um slightly sort of sidewaysy about it, you know, and, um and it kind of felt like there was a relationship with a Bible belt kind of energy. There was a relationship with spirituality, with a certain particular flavor of politics. It felt like it had a relative in North America. It had a kind of folk relative. Yes. Yeah, so we, so I was kind of thinking like I'm interested in a tonal space that is acoustic that is guitars that i was originally thinking like are we talking about like you know is it bluegrass is it sort of banjos and stuff and i was kind of looking at references to see whether it felt right and i was looking at raikuda in paris texas yes
0: and, exactly what i was about um, to say yeah
2: yeah and um gustavo santoro uh, santau uh, liar yeah. who um I think he's an incredible composer.
0: Oh, he's, yeah. We had, um, I had him on actually here about Oh, did you? Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, we talked, to, it was, it was for The Last of Us, but we, I mean, we talked about yeah. motorcycle diaries and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And, yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, it was and extraordinary. Broke back and yeah. Yeah. And he, um, yeah,
0: exactly. And he's just, oh, he's extraordinary. Yeah. You should, Um, he's, he's such a, again, he's a really open, you can tell. Like he just, I think I asked him two questions in 45 minutes
2: <laughs> and he just like, sort it of was, interviewed himself. Oh, yeah. It
0: was so <laughs> lovely. It's like, yes, yeah, story time. It was brilliant.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that he was one of the composers that Niall and I first spoke about. So I, I got in touch with Niall and sort of sent in the script. And Niall kind of, we, we basically chimed with it in the same way and for the same reasons. And we And we kind of were talking about the same sonic landscapes and references and the scale of two people in that weird world and what an acoustic instrument does, and mm. and so right from the get go, we were sort of completely on the same page, weren't we, Niall? Mm, and yeah, um, and then this was like a year before we shot, so we just spoke about it a lot, and 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 every time I went up there, I'd send Niall kind of photos of the sky and pictures like you know little bits of writing that I'd found about it, and we just like and and you know he'd send bits and pieces back, but then we just started basically conversing in WhatsApp like voice notes yeah and most of Niall's voice notes would just be him playing
1: and occasionally there'd
2: be like whatsapp videos he'd set up his video and in not in this space actually but he would just like play something that felt like a spin down of the most recent bit of the conversation that we'd had around the film and a particular thing around character or location or whatever yeah and the kind of short version of the story is we built the entire sonic landscape of the film and its motifs and its flavours in that way in advance of the film being shot. Um, Wonderful. And so when I got onto set, I already sort of knew what the film sounded like. And um, Mm. there were kind of a few things that we recorded afterwards, but probably like well over half of the original music in the film is material composed sort of in a in advance of and around the shoot and delivered to me on whatsapp by now
0: Now, in terms of, can you remember that uh, Prasanna kind of, you know, th- that first introduction and him getting in touch and what you, what your kind of initial kind of response was to to this conversation and this, yeah, what this could I, potentially be?
3: Yeah, I was, but it was very exciting to to get that email and um, particularly it was strange because uh, the soundtrack he mentioned Paris Texts in the email, which happens to be probably my favorite soundtrack, and I'm a huge soundtrack fan. So I was really excited and also it's a strange coincidence because that, that movie sort of come in and out of my life all through my life. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, I ended up meeting Sam Shepard when he was in Dublin and we hung out and played wow. music together. So it was just really weird and spooky that this, here's Paris Texas again. But then the, I think when he sent me the script, that that was when I got very excited because the the writing is, is really phenomenal and, and really subtly emotive, like on the page, And you know, when you read the script, you kind of, you get it. I, I think I read it sort of twice, like in the one sitting, it was uh, exciting. So musically it was kind of like, wow, this is, this is sort of a paradise for anybody to create.
0: <laughs> Did you respond to like, I mean, because I feel like the, you're, the music's kind of, it's almost like it's kind of an, it's a companion to the landscape. It's a companion to kind of these, these portraits of these characters almost in a way as well. There's kind of, there's there's so many lovely things that the music is doing and, and accompanying in a way. So it's really amazing to hear that so much of that was done before shooting started, because it almost kind of creates an atmosphere already sort of thing. But I wondered what you responded to specifically within the script, if that was something that really jumped out at you, is that the music was going to facilitate so much of these things.
3: Really, the... The Irish landscape, a bit like the characters, hmm. they're sort of para- its paradoxically, it can make you feel very alienated and invited. You know, it's a really strange, paradoxical landscape uh, in various parts of the country, especially in the north. Yeah, like you can feel very excluded, you know, and very invited at the same time. I don't, I don't really have the words for that, you know. But I, I've read certain authors from the north that have kind of hinted at that, you know, and. these kind of strange thin places that there's a sort of a mystical (laughs) thing to the land. And then there's all the cultural history, you know, and then it's populated by these kind of really wonderful characters, you know. So there's so much source material musically. And I think through just a lot of dialogue with Persona, it, it was kind of easy to try and find some kind of emotional representation of the land and the characters.
2: Yeah, we were also Um, looking at like the 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 kind of the tonal mix blend, the kind of disco, uh, the kind of glitter ball of the script, which is like, you know, sometimes it's catching the light, sometimes it's giving you irony, sometimes it's giving you shade, sometimes it's giving you heartbreak, sometimes it's giving you something quite deadpan, like kind of weird. mm -hmm. Um, And we wanted all of those flavors represented. We didn't we didn't want to kind of leave anything out. So we've got kind of elements of the kind of mid-century fairground we've got elements of the like you know the traveler kind of bluegrass vibe we've got like really kind of quite contemporary uh stuff leading into you know a young band from belfast called um, strangely places mm-hmm. who provide the track at the end of the film who uh, so it feels like it's a score that has some spats about 150 years of like irish and american uh musical references you know <laughs> Oh, oh,
0: think that that's such a brilliant like you say you mentioned kind of contemporary approach to it is that it could have been a very easy thing and a probably predictable thing for many people to do for it to, to really reference the Irish nature of it but it really doesn't and I think that that's such a brilliant thing because yes it's it's about these people in this part of the world but it actually means that people in similar situations in any part of the world can kind of connect to it more so because you have allowed that that sonic element to it is is much more is less specific if that makes sense.
3: It does it makes perfect sense. I've always felt that even from the script is that I I was so delighted that it, it felt very much like a European film. Yeah. And not not just specifically Irish because you know we do have a tendency in in my lovely country to almost kind of do a caricature of our own culture you know
0: celtic thing it's a celtic thing now yeah and i
3: and i kind of thought i, I remember actually one of our voice or whatsapp things i remember sending Brazana something that was really kind of a bit too paddy wackery celtic you know and i kind of I, I, thought I, I, yeah. I thought what am I doing here? You know, I, I'm just kind of What about you I, What are do you doing? Re- yeah, I re- I remember it. it came with a little
2: voice note afterwards that sort of said in a kind as panicked as Nile ever gets which is sort of not great. He just kind of went would you delete that? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, don't don't but listen to that i i kind of went down a little thing
0: <laughs> but that's almost as important as that as knowing what is right is knowing yeah, what is totally. not right for and it and as the, well
2: the notion of like irish identity is so complicated you know yeah. and not only irish identity on this island but irish identity abroad as a kind of diaspora you know and and we were we wanted the notion of its irishness and its northern irishness to be encoded very very deeply in its genome yeah rather than like on its veneer, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we were looking really, really closely and hard at things like humor, I guess, and the interaction of, of personal spaces and things like things that reminded us of flavors of interactions and people that we encountered and the mm-hmm. actors and you know and crew. There was a kind of energy that we wanted to capture, uh, rather than as you guys have definitely lawside. <laughs> <laughs> Just in some way, like sellotaping, like a noise palette on it. You know what I mean? It was. Yeah. Never, we never wanted to do that, and we were very kind of careful to tiptoe around that. So yeah.
0: Even though you'd had that wonderful journey up until the point when you started shooting, of creating, you know, so much of and the and the collaboration and the conversations around it. Once you got down to filming, and Sean and Patrick, you know, taking on these these two leads of, of Eileen and Shane, did that influence anything in terms of, did you feel like you had to respond to those performances in any way or, or not really?
3: It's hard to say really. I, I think at some point, you know, I I think I I started to ask Prasanna to, you know, to sort of direct me in terms of like you know, the, the music is, 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 an actor here. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, um, not to take it out of my hands, but ju- just to see how elastic we could be with the possibilities. Like so, if that, and he did do that, you know, quite vigilantly and quite a lot. It's like, well, let's try this. And so we went around all the houses trying to, to to get the kind of the right, you know, emotional representation there of the interior of those characters, and and it was just really about kind of it was always less is more, you know, it was always yeah. that. Kind of secret, and we use very minimal. Uh, one of the decisions we, we made early on was that we were going to use very minimal uh, and lo-fi instrumentation. You know, it had to be done really with one voice, uh, mm-hmm. one guitar. Occasionally during the shoot, Niall and I would
2: would catch up on the phone, and we actually had a because we had a little hiatus between Christmas and the New Year. I remember kind of standing on Primrose Hill like on, on one of those many long, long pandemic walks. Yeah. I was standing on I was on Primrose Hill in the middle of the night, I think it was sort of late evening anyway, talking to Niall about some of the things that happened in the first two weeks of the shoot. And Niall sent me, uh, we ended up having a long, much longer conversation about the nature of the beginnings and ends of relationships, just sort of really what the film fundamentally is about, like those yeah. bleeding edges, you know. And Niall, by the time I got back to my flat, Niall had sent me just like a little musical improvisation which ended up being called... We just called it Green Guitar
1: Hmm.
2: because it's played on this... I mean, we should probably show you, but um, it's this beautiful stratotone. Oh, wow. The the Sears catalogue, $12, 1950-something. 54, yeah. yeah. 1954. Most of the film is scored on that little guitar. And Niall played a little improvisation that I just kind of immediately knew was... The moment of the stitch that brings them finally into a place of understanding that they've been on a journey together, and it's in the film in in a completely kind of undoctored. We 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 cleaned it up a little bit because Nile was staying in a place at that time, she had very dirty electricity in the room, so there's kind of a a, a hum across the bottom of yeah. everything. <laughs> but um, amazingly, we just sort of found that it just sat directly under. An unedited section of film of Eileen going down to meet Shane and every little kind of inflection and corner and mogul on that mm. route is somehow like preempted by Niles wow. improvisation like four, four, five weeks before. Mm. got into post-production we built the score I would say for the final quarter of the film out from that one improvisation so little riffs that suggested this piece and riffs that suggested this other piece we would sort of go I think there's like there's that we'd slightly change the instrumentation and Mm -hmm. some of the kind of relationship with reverb and so on how clean it was as a recording stuff like that and then that kind of then we found a way to bleed that uh into the final track of the film. So it was a very like organic, almost like a dance process in a way. It was mm. like I I I think like in the past I've always never made things, I've always found using temporary music quite hard and quite annoying, basically, because <laughs> you sort of put it in and you, you can't ever use it. And so you're sort of you're just like
1: what's the point going
2: yeah it's like yeah, it's not, <laughs> we, we know we know it's not going to be this then um, yeah. and, and, and 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 i think like you just sort of like leading everyone into an empty room basically yeah. and i just wanted i wanted the edit to feature you know, like from the start and there were there were moments where we didn't have the music yet you know and so i put in like a little bit of something else I'm like we haven't got that from our improvs and from our sketchbook mm. and so we went in uh, to dublin dunleary for a couple of days with a really lovely our music editor Hugh Drum, um and uh you know, Nile brought in three guitars and a Rick and Backer lap steel, which is just on the windowsill there from the night. Is that the place
0: that was between the um, the the mattress shop and the garage? That's right.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. My grandfather's house is uh, right behind it. It's strange.
1: No way.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was a really weird place to end up. It's very Bally Walter esque you know, to end yeah. up there. But yeah, that was a great process. Those few days, it was we really good. A lot of sounds yeah.
2: there. Yeah, no, I'll just sort of. Um, I remember we had lunch one day, and he went. This, uh, I, I don't think this cue is strange enough. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: and uh, he just said, "I, I just want to kind of like, I want to just sort of lava lamp it or something." He said some amazing, like, sort of non-musical image, uh, and he pulled out this 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 Rickenbacker, which uh, he just put on his lap and just started kind of like. I don't know. I don't know how to describe I it. Think, but... Yeah,
3: that was kind of, it occurred a lot of the times musically. It's so strange that, you know, in the pursuit of one thing, you're, you're led to another. Like, so the more musical I, I became with it, uh, the less successful. So you, I had to kind of dis- disrupt that, you know. Somehow. Yeah. So I'm, I remember that the, the great way of disrupting the where things could have got very sentimental, I put them into waltz time and then sort of any kind of sentimentality was just out the window then, you know. <laughs> uh, so things like that, I had to really disrupt my own process so it didn't become a sort of seductive, gushy, how can I put it? Exactly tell, not, t- yeah, it's not like...
0: telling the audience how to feel, basically.
3: Exactly. Yeah, that. you yeah. know, it's that, it's that in short story writing, like kind of show, not tell or something like that. It was yeah. a bit show, not tell in many ways. Well, you don't need to
2: describe what's already happening. I think the the gift of a a piece of score can be to offer an alternative interpretation of the visual picture. So earlier on in the film, we have a kind of sequence of Eileen picking up a few passengers, having a coffee outside her workplace. And it's um, basically social realism. I mean, it's like, you know, one of the references from a picture point of view for this film for me was... um, uh, weirdly uh, The Wrestler uh, the Aronofsky movie The Wrestler Yeah, but not 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 in any way really to do with the kind of content of the film except its kind of relationship with POV and you know the distance that it keeps but what, what was really kind of particular about it is you could probably put elements of our Waltz Time weird score over that film and it would completely reinflect it you yeah. know in the same way that you could probably take bits of that score and chuck it over our film and and you would get a much straighter line through it, I think, you know. Yeah, and that, but that was very much Niall's kind of instinct, I think, because you know, like one of the things that first attracted me to Niall's music was its gorgeous, gorgeous richness. And we knew that we had that, we always had that as a sort of piece of the language, but we needed to make sure we didn't enter the launch
3: codes <laughs> every <the> time we <laughs> slightly different kind Have of approaches. Much... And...
0: Have you scored many films before, Niall?
3: No, this is my first time. Um,
0: no way! Oh my god!
3: Yeah, Just I did. Even the like... way
0: you've responded to this though is extraordinary. You know, in terms of what you've created, in terms of your response to, to the script, to conversations, collaborations with with as well. it's that's amazing.
3: Well, it's been really wonderful because I think, I mean, I listen to a lot of soundtrack music. Probably over over artists, I would probably you know if I if I'm on YouTube or whatever, it's usually soundtracks that I, I would listen to. Mm. And I'm very interested in the process, you know, and uh, and how the kind of how sound makes representation in drama is just beautifully interlinked. And uh, so it was just, you know, kind of all in project and um, <clears throat> and it's something I'd like to do more of. Absolutely. But I often felt like, you know, when I was performing on the streets or restaurants and bars, I was kind of soundtracking existential experience anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, the couple over there on their phones, and I like improvising a way of like what's really going on?
0: <laughs> when I have that luxury of like being on my own walking down a street or whatever as so well, I've got my own soundtrack going on in my head that's soundtracking my movements and what I'm doing. and I kind of like so that's the almost like the opposite of that. You're doing that for people. I love it.
2: The best bit of the day when you yeah, sat obviously. back in your own the, the movie yeah. of your own life. Niall <laughs> yeah, exactly. sent us an absolutely heavenly little thing. We took the film to a really gorgeous festival in Washington, DC called Solus Newar, the Capital Irish Film Festival there, where the film won amazingly won the audience award and was very, very warmly received. And um I sent Niles some pictures and some, you know, some pictures of the screening and stuff like that. Um and he sent this beautiful piece back which was a recording and typically typical, mm-hmm. I think for our collaboration, it's sort of weirdly still going on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> he sent me this uh, piece of music that he recorded. At, he was playing in a restaurant in Dublin and he played a kind of, I guess, a, just yet another riff on that kind of green guitar, like morphing evolution. And you can hear this Dublin restaurant in the background. I think obviously oblivious to the fact that this this piece of improvisation had this kind of provenance but again it sort of felt exactly right for it so was definitely like plugged into something really universal even though it's really specific <laughs> feels
0: like a beautiful collaboration and one that i hope that will you know kind of go on to whatever you you do next sort of thing as well really and yeah and and also just mentioning shauna and patrick as well i mean there's the brilliant casting for those two it's just mm. she's phenomenal she just well. i mean P- paddy's paddy do you know what i mean i'll just rip him about <laughs> it but, but um but um
2: but yeah, but yeah, yeah Paddy will interview himself that exactly fine, but yeah he's, he's fine yeah, he's got yeah. his new show
0: starting next week. He'll be, yeah, fine. Exactly, exactly. Um, He'll be but, fine. He'll be fine, But she's oh god, she's you can't take your eyes off her. She's just
2: she's um she inhibits,
0: she, she inhabits an amazing space, is what oh yeah. She's an
2: incredible she's a like she's like a sort of messy or a Zidane She <laughs> does she does things that I've sort of never seen an actor do in like 20 years of acting. And it's something to do with where she begins it from, but also like what she brings to bear from her kind of personal circumstance in a way that's completely controlled and measured and deployed safely, but with incredible power and real deft skill as well. She's sort of in amongst it all. She always knows where the camera is. There's a, there's a moment towards the end of the film, where the camera's following her and she just senses that Federico Cheska, the cinematographer, is going to dart over her other shoulder. And she turns around and looks through the lens and wipes her eye. Hmm. And it's a piece of screen acting of the highest kind of tradespersonship in the midst of a very emotional moment. Uh, We knew that, I mean, she's been brilliant since she first appeared in A Date for Mad Mary. I I saw that at the London Film Festival Hmm. 10 years ago, and she was incredible in that. And so she was always in our minds for this. And she properly went down the mine to, mm-hmm. to unearth that mm-hmm. accent, you know, and really kind of like bolted it in. Um, she stayed in it for the whole shoot, actually, which was kind when of. When I
0: heard like... her, yeah, when I heard her normal accent, I was like, bloody hell.
2: I know, full <laughs> Tala, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of the crew on rap. I mean, as soon as we put, we called cut on the final shot of the film, she went back to Tala <laughs> and she went back to Dublin. And you could sort of see the crew's faces. They were like, oh, uh, I think they all kind <laughs> of thought, oh, my God, I've had some sort of brain injury here. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, uh, the Brian Faulkner, one of our producers, um, thought that he that we'd booked the wrong actor because he, uh, <laughs> he was like, I thought we'd booked someone coming up from Dublin. Um, so, and she she was amazing, but she, you know, she, it's really tough, I think, as a, an actor from Dublin to come up to Belfast and to to go in like that oh, yeah. you know yeah so and she knew that was going to be the case and she worked so hard and and was but it was you know it's a big challenge for her in the same way that for Paddy you know he's never <laughs> never screen acted before it's like a huge amount to climb, and in their separate ways they worked very hard and they and they worked incredibly well together and um, uh, I think we, you know because we were it was the pandemic that we shot it in it's pre-vaccine pandemic they just sort of didn't get out of that car and no one really got in it (laughs) occasionally federico and i and sometimes andy gardner our focus puller would be in there but a lot of the time it was just easier to keep them covid safe by just sort of saying guys just stay in the car and um when i flicked on the 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 radios to sort of talk to them about what we were going to do next or give them a note just hear them chuntering away
1: <laughs> um, just, just yeah, yeah,
2: and just you know um, are we rolling guys know, are we rolling patrick, on this? Yeah. yeah yeah well you know patrick i mean you know just uh get, getting him to stop talking is the trick so. oh my
0: god <laughs> yeah totally
2: so but no they really looked after each other and they looked after each other's fears and um they just held each other through it and yeah i i, I agree with you i think they're wonderful
0: yeah. yeah i really appreciate your time today i really do and it's so great to celebrate your collaboration and the hard work and the the endurance of of kind of you know like you say that it doesn't take a minute to make a film it takes a long time and it takes a lot of perseverance yeah. and I'm so glad that you you did and you have because the results are are brilliant
2: thank you and thank and, you so and, much and, um, shout out Stacy Gregg the writer and um and, and James Beerman oh, yeah. our kind of lead producer who um you know I mean I I shared ferry cabins with him on this you know it was we, we went we went in <laughs> it was one of those ones uh but yeah thank you i really appreciate that and it it has been a long journey and um we're just thrilled that it's um you know about to people
0: be get to see it now yeah exactly yeah it's about to be yeah. birthed to the world so yeah, yeah. here we go <laughs> score to Bally Walter, that's Sodium C by Niall Lawler, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Niall and Prasanna Puana Raja. My huge thanks to both for taking the time to talk to me. Bally Walter is in cinemas now. Now, listen, we are fast approaching 400 episodes of our wee podcast, something we are very, very proud of. And you can find every single episode if you head to edithbowman.com. Follow us on socials. We're at Soundtracking UK, and we also have a YouTube channel, which we'd love for you to subscribe to. Uh, Also, thanks to everybody who got in touch with regards to um, the role that we've been advertising for to come and help us on our social media side of things. We're sifting through all the applicants, um, and so if you have applied, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Possible. Next up, I'm so excited to welcome back Gareth Edwards who joins me to discuss his latest film. It's been a while since Gareth's been around, and I tell you what, things are, you know, the best things are worth waiting for, and the creator is no exception. Talk about a kind of blockbuster, but with a personal and beautiful and intimate story. You really care about the characters in this, and he's just he's done it again. I'm a big fan and I'm so excited by what he's done with the creator, and I'm very Very excited to have him back on the podcast next week. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.